Chapter 2 of In the Heart of Africa by Samuel White Baker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2 Egypt's Rule of the Sudan. Kassala was built about twenty years before I visited the country, after Taka had been conquered and annexed to Egypt. The general annexation of the Sudan and the submission of the numerous Arab tribes to the Viceroy have been the first steps necessary to the improvement of the country. Although the Egyptians are hard masters and do not trouble themselves about the future well-being of conquered races, it must be remembered that, prior to the annexation, all the tribes were at war among themselves. There was neither government nor law. Thus, the whole country was closed to Europeans. At the time of my visit to Kassala in 1861, the Arab tribes were separately governed by their own chiefs or sheikhs, who were responsible to the Egyptian authorities for the taxes due from their people. Since that period, the entire tribes of all denominations have been placed under the authority of that grand old Arab patriarch, Ahmed Abu Sin, to be hereafter mentioned. The iron hand of despotism has produced a marvelous change among the Arabs, who are rendered utterly powerless by the system of government adopted by the Egyptians. Unfortunately, this harsh system has the effect of paralyzing all industry. The principal object of Turks and Egyptians in annexation is to increase their power of taxation by gaining an additional number of subjects. Thus, although many advantages have accrued to the Arab provinces of Nubia through Egyptian rule, there exists very much mistrust between the governed and the governing. Not only are the camels, cattle, and sheep subjected to attacks, but every attempt at cultivation is thwarted by the authorities who impose a fine or tax upon the superficial area of the cultivated land. Thus, no one will cultivate more than is absolutely necessary, as he dreads the difficulties that broad acres of waving crops would entail upon his family. The bona fide tax is a bagatelle to the amount squeezed from him by the extortionate soldiery, who are the agents employed by the sheik. These must have their share of the plunder, in excess of the amount to be delivered to their employer. He also must have his plunder before he parts with the bags of dollars to the governor of the province. Thus the unfortunate cultivator is ground down. Should he refuse to pay the necessary backsheesh or present to the tax collectors, some false charge is trumped up against him, and he is thrown into prison. As a green field is an attraction to a flight of locusts in their desolating voyage, so is a luxuriant farm in the Sudan a point for the tax collectors of Upper Egypt. I have frequently ridden several days' journey through a succession of empty villages deserted by the inhabitants upon the report of the soldiers' approach. The women and children, goats and cattle, camels and asses had all been removed into the wilderness for refuge, while their crops of corn had been left standing for the plunderers, who would be too idle to reap and thrash the grain. Notwithstanding the misery that fetters the steps of improvement, nature has bestowed such great capabilities of production in the fertile soil of this country that the yield of a small surface is more than sufficient for the requirements of the population, and actual poverty is unknown. 
the average price of dura is fifteen piastres per rachel or about three shillings two pence for five hundred pounds upon the spot where it is grown the dura sorghum andropogon is the grain most commonly used throughout the sudan there are great varieties of this plant of which the most common are the white and the red the land is not only favored by nature by its fertility but the intense heat of the summer is the laborer's great assistant as before described all vegetation entirely disappears in the glaring sun or becomes so dry that it is swept off by fire thus the soil is perfectly clean and fit for immediate cultivation upon the arrival of the rains the tool generally used is similar to the dutch hoe with this simple implement the surface is scratched to a depth of about two inches and the seeds of the dura are dribbled in at about three feet apart in rows from four to five feet in width two seeds are dropped into each hole a few days after the first shower they rise above the ground and when about six inches high the whole population turn out of their villages at break of day to weed the dura fields sown in july it is harvested in february and march eight months are thus required for the cultivation of this cereal in the intense heat of nubia for the first three months the growth is extremely rapid and the stems attain a height of six or seven feet when at perfection in the rich soil of the taka country the plant averages a height of ten feet the circumference of the stem being about four inches the crown is a feather very similar to that of the sugar-cane the blossom falls and the feathers become a head of dura weighing about two pounds each grain is about the size of hemp seed i took the trouble of counting the corns contained in an average size head the result being four thousand eight hundred and forty eight the process of harvesting and threshing is remarkably simple as the heads are simply detached from the straw and beaten out in piles the dried straw is a substitute for sticks in forming the walls of the village huts these are plastered with clay and cow dung which form the arabs lath and plaster the miller's work is exclusively the province of the women no man will condescend to grind the corn there are no circular handmills as among oriental nations but the corn is ground upon a simple flat stone of cithernice or granite about two feet in length by fourteen inches in width the face of this is roughened by beating with a sharp pointed piece of harder stone such as quartz or hornblende and the grain is reduced to flour by great labor and repeated grinding or rubbing with a stone rolling pin the flour is mixed with water and allowed to ferment it is then made into thin pancakes upon an earthenware flat portable hearth this species of leavened bread is known to the arabs as the kisra it is not very palatable but it is extremely well suited to arab cookery as it can be rolled up like a pancake and dipped in the general dish of meat and gravy very conveniently in the absence of spoons and forks on the fourteenth of july i had concluded my arrangements for the start there had been some difficulty in procuring camels but the all-powerful firman was a never-failing talisman and as the arabs had declined to let their animals for hire the governor dispatched a number of soldiers and seized the required number including their owners i engaged two wild young arabs of eighteen and twenty years of age named bachit and watgama the latter being interpreted signifies son of the moon 
This in no way suggests lunacy, but the young Arab had happened to enter this world on the day of the new moon, which was considered to be a particularly fortunate and brilliant omen at his birth. Whether the climax of his good fortune had arrived at the moment he entered my service, I know not. But if so, there was a cloud over his happiness in his subjection to Mahomet the Dagoman, who rejoiced in the opportunity of bullying the two inferiors. Wat Gama was a quiet, steady, well-conducted lad, who bore oppression mildly. But the younger, Bouchit, was a fiery wild young Arab who, although an excellent boy in his peculiar way, was almost incapable of being tamed and domesticated. I at once perceived that Mohammed would have a determined rebel to control, which I confess I did not regret. Wages were not high in this part of the world. The lads were engaged at one and a half dollars per month and their keep. Mohammed, who was a great man, suffered from the same complaint to which great men are, in these countries, particularly subject. Wherever he went, he was attacked with claimants of relationship. He was overwhelmed with professions of friendship from people who claimed to be connections of some of his family. In fact, if all the ramifications of his race were correctly represented by the claimants of relationship, Mohammed's family tree would have shaded the Nubian desert. We all have our foibles. The strongest fort has its feeble point, as the chain snaps at its weakest link. Family pride was Mohammed's weak link. This was his tender point, and Mohammed, the great and the imperious, yielded to the gentle scratching of his ear if a stranger claimed connection with his ancient lineage. Of course, he had no family, with the exception of his wife and two children, whom he had left in Cairo. The lady, whom he had honored by admission into the domestic circle of the Mohammeds, was suffering from a broken arm when we started from Egypt, as she had cooked the dinner badly, and the gata, or large wooden bowl, had been thrown at her by the naturally indignant husband, precisely as he had thrown the axe at one man and the basin at another while in our service. These were little contretemps that could hardly disturb the dignity of so great a man. Mohammed met several relatives at Kosala. One borrowed money of him. Another stole his pipe. The third, who declared that nothing should separate them now that, by the blessing of God, they had met, determined to accompany him through all the difficulties of our expedition, provided that Mohammed would only permit him to serve for love without wages. I gave Mohammed some little advice upon this point, reminding him that, although the clothes of the party were only worth a few piastres, the spoons and forks were silver. Therefore, I should hold him responsible for the honesty of his friend. This reflection upon the family gave great offense, and he assured me that Achmet, our quondam acquaintance, was so near a relative that he was, I assisted him in the genealogical distinction, my mother's brother's cousin's sister's mother's son. Eh, Mohammed? Yes, sir, that's it. Very well, Mohammed. Mind he doesn't steal the spoons and thrash him if he doesn't do his work. Yes, sir, replied Mohammed. He all same like one brother, he one good man, will do his business quietly. If not, master, lick him. The new relative, not understanding English, was perfectly satisfied with the success of his introduction, and from that moment he became one of our party. One more addition, and our arrangements were completed. 
the governor of Casala was determined we should not start without a soldier guide to represent the government. Accordingly, he gave us a black corporal, so renowned as a sportsman that he went by the name of El Bagger, the cow, because of his having killed several of the oryx antelope, known as El Bagger at Wabash, cow of the desert. After sixteen hours actual marching from Kosala, we arrived at the valley of the Atbara. There was an extraordinary change in the appearance of the river between Gozerejup and this spot. There was no longer the vast sandy desert with the river flowing through its sterile course on a level with the surface of the country. But after traversing an apparently perfect flat of forty-five miles of rich alluvial soil, we had suddenly arrived upon the edge of a deep valley between five and six miles wide, at the bottom of which, about two hundred feet below the general level of the country, flowed the river at Barra. On the opposite side of the valley, the same vast tablelands continued to the western horizon. We commenced the descent toward the river. The valley was a succession of gullies and ravines of landslips and watercourses. The entire hollow of miles in width had evidently been the work of the river. How many ages had the rains and the stream been at work to scoop out from the flat tableland this deep and broad valley? Here was the giant laborer that had shoveled the rich loam upon the delta of lower Egypt. Upon these vast flats of fertile soil there can be no drainage except through soakage. The deep valley is therefore the receptacle not only for the water that oozes from its sides, but the subterranean channels, bursting as land springs from all parts of the walls of the valley, wash down the more soluble portions of earth, and continually waste away the soil. Landslips occurred daily during the rainy season. Streams of rich mud pour down the valley slopes, and as the river flows beneath in a swollen torrent, the friable banks topple down into the stream and dissolve. The Atbara becomes the thickness of pea soup, as its muddy waters steadily perform the duty they have fulfilled from age to age. Thus was the great river at work upon our arrival on its bank at the bottom of the valley. The Arab name, Bar al-Aswat, or Black River, was well bestowed. It was the Black Mother of Egypt, still carrying to her offspring the nourishment that had first formed the delta. At this point of interest, the journey had commenced. The deserts were all past, all was fertility and life. Wherever the sources of the Nile might be, the Atbara was the parent of Egypt. This was my first impression to be proved hereafter. A violent thunderstorm with the deluge of rain broke upon our camp on the banks of the Atbara, fortunately just after the tents were pitched. We thus had an example of the extraordinary effect of the heavy rain in tearing away the soil of the valley. Trifling watercourses were swollen to torrents. Banks of earth became loosened and fell in, and the rush of mud and water upon all sides swept forward into the river with a rapidity which threatened the destruction of the country, should such tempest endure for a few days. In a couple of hours, all was over. In the evening, we crossed with our baggage and people to the opposite side of the river and pitched our tents at the village of Gurashi. In the morning, the camels arrived, and once more we were ready to start. Our factotum, El Bagar, had collected a number of baggage camels and riding dromedaries or hygienes. The latter he had brought for our approval, 
as we had suffered much from the extreme roughness of our late camels. There is the same difference between a good hygiene or dromedary and a baggage camel as between the thoroughbred and the cart horse, and it appears absurd in the eyes of the Arabs that a man of any position should ride a baggage camel. Apart from all ideas of etiquette, the motion of the latter animal is quite sufficient warning. Of all species of fatigue, the back-breaking, monotonous swing of the heavy camel is the worst, and should the rider lose patience and administer a sharp cut with a kurbach that induces a creature to break into a trot, the torture of the rack is a pleasant tickling compared to the sensation of having your spine driven by a sledgehammer from below a half-foot deeper into the skull. The human frame may be inured to almost anything, Thus, the Arabs, who have always been accustomed to this kind of exercise, hardly feel the motion, and the portion of the body most subject to pain in riding a rough camel upon two bare pieces of wood for a saddle becomes naturally adapted for such rough service, as monkeys become hardened from constantly sitting upon rough substances. The children commence, almost as soon as they are born, as they must accompany their mothers in their annual migrations and no sooner can the young Arab sit astride and hold on than he is placed behind his father's saddle, to which he clings, while he bumps upon the bare back of the jolting camel. Nature quickly arranges a horny protection to the nerves by the thickening of the skin. Thus an Arab's opinion of the action of a riding hygiene should never be accepted without a personal trial. What appears delightful to him may be a torture to you, as a strong breeze in a rough sea may be charming to a sailor, but worse than death to a landsman. I was determined not to accept the camels now offered as hygienes until I had seen them tried. I accordingly ordered our black soldier, El Bagger, to saddle the most easy-action animal for my wife, but I wished to see him put it through a variety of paces before she should accept it. The delighted El Bagger, from whom long practice was as hard as the heel of a boot, disdained a saddle. The animal knelt, was mounted, and off he started at full trot, performing a circle of about fifty yards diameter as though in a circus. I never saw such an expedition. Warranted quiet to ride, of easy action, and fit for a lady. This had been the character received to the rampant brute, who now, with head and tail erect, went tearing around the circle, screaming and roaring like a wild beast, throwing his forelegs forward and stepping at least three feet high in his trot. Where was El Bagger? A disjointed-looking black figure was sometimes on the back of this easy-going camel, sometimes a foot high in the air, arms, head, legs, hands, appearing like a confused mass of dislocation. The woolly hair of this unearthly individual that had been carefully trained in long, stiff, narrow curls, precisely similar to the tobacco known as Negro Head, alternately started upright in mass, as though under the influence of electricity, and then fell as suddenly upon his shoulders. Had the dark individual been a black dose, he or it could not have been more thoroughly shaken. This object, so thoroughly disguised by rapidity of movement, was L. Bagger happy, delighted El Bagger. As he came rapidly around toward us, flourishing his kurbach, I called to him, Is that a nice hygiene for the sit, the lady, El Bagger? Is it very easy? He was almost incapable of a reply, 
very easy he replied with trustworthy authority just the thing for the set all right that will do i answered and the jockey pulled up his steed are the other camels better or worse than that i asked much worse replied el bagger the others are rather rough but this is an easy-goer and will suit the lady well it was impossible to hire a good hygiene an Arab prizes his riding animals too much and invariably refuses to let it to a stranger, but generally imposes upon him by substituting some lightly built camel that he thinks will pass muster. I accordingly chose for my wife a steady-going animal from among the baggage camels, trusting to be able to obtain a hygiene from the great Sheikh Abu Sin, who was encamped upon the road we were about to take along the valley of the Atbara. We left Gurashi on the following day. End of chapter 2